Welcome to another episode of the She Powered Podcast. I am your host, Dominica Scatel, and I am super excited to have all of you meet my next guest, Lindsay Bird. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Lindsay is the California Teacher Plus Emergent Bilingual Change Agent Coach, National Teach Plus English Learner Advisor, and an independent education consultant focusing on equitable pathways for immigrant students. She recently left a 17-year teaching career, the past decade of which was spent as the developer, instructor, and coordinator of the Language Institute, a specialized program serving immigrant, refugee, and asylum-seeking high school students in Modesto, California. Lindsay is a social justice champion and ally to immigrant students and families at the local, state, and national level. In May of 2013, she was awarded Maestra del Año by the Association of Mexican-American Educators. In August of 2015, she received the Amiga of the Year Award from El Concilio. And in November of 2015, she was honored as a Carlson Family Foundation Outstanding Teacher of America. Lindsay was also an Education Policy Fellow for Tech Plus California, part-time lecturer for the CSU Stanislaus Teacher Credential Program, and a member of the Irvine Foundation's new Leadership Network of Stanislaus. She earned a BA in Social Science from California State University, Chico, and a Master's in Literacy and Digital Learning from the University of San Diego. All of you, I can't wait for you to dive into this conversation. So hit the pause button right now, get your favorite cafecito, tea, whatever adult beverage you prefer, <laughs> and get ready to dive into a fantastic conversation with Lindsay Bird. Welcome to the She Powered Podcast with your host, Domenica Escatel. Lindsay, thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So how about we just start off with letting everyone know who you are and what you do. Okay, that sounds great. Um, hello everyone, I'm Lindsay Bird, uh, born and raised in Modesto, product of the Central Valley, um, first generation college student who just really um, growing up here was keenly aware of um, some of the shortcomings that we have uh, culturally speaking compared to our, our coastal neighbors and have a real big commitment to social justice and just empowering um, everyone, especially you know the, the people who've been traditionally underserved. So I went um, off to college to Chico and uh, came back as a high school teacher, social science high school teacher, um, to try to kind of combine my two passions of education and social justice. And I think that um, you know fate put me in the right spot because in 2003, when I was hired, I was given uh, um, the majority of my classes. We're focused on English learners, who of course data shows, you know, we definitely could do a better job uh, serving. And uh, it really became, you know, my life's work and my professional passion to create like equitable pathways for these students, because even under that label English learner, there's so much diversity. So um, the last 10 years of my career were spent in a special program for the students who had just arrived as teenagers to our country. So immigrants, refugees, asylum seeking students who, um, very often didn't know any English at all, but also had obviously experienced trauma on their journey to the United States and had gaps in their formal education. So they really had some 
specific um, needs in mind. So, uh, you know, I became obviously a, an educator first, but an advocate second kind of as an unofficial uh, job description. And um, I'm so passionate about the experiences I had and the lessons I learned at the local, state, and national level advocating for these students that I recently actually left the classroom because I want to do that work full time. Okay, before we start, Lindsay, what is your favorite beverage? Well, it's I, I can't wake up without at least two cups of coffee. Um, so coffee in the morning, and then I, I always love to fall asleep with a glass of wine at night. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. So I have to tell you a funny wine story before I tell you my favorite beverage of choice. And so the first time I drank wine was right after high school. I was on assignment, a photography assignment, and I was taking photos of my cousin's two daughters, and they were very little at the time. And we had just gotten back from the store, um, and her car is a Range Rover at this moment, or at that moment. And so what made it even more spectacular is just having that experience and being in this fancy car. And then, you know, we sat down, and she gave me the fanciest cup ever and poured some wine, and I just felt super cool, and I thought she was super cool. She is cool. And... um and I remember thinking like, okay, these are grown up goals, adult goals, hashtag adulting, drinking wine. <laughs> and what's funny now is I look back and I'm pretty sure it was probably the cheapest bottle of wine ever. Doesn't matter. No, it was just experience. And I think that's what's super fun about drinking wine with friends is just the experience of being together, laughing, adulting, right? But currently, my favorite beverage of choice or my go-to beverage is golden milk. I know, so random, but it is so, so good. It is ginger, cinnamon, and turmeric, the best thing ever. What sparked K through 12 for you? Like, what was that interest? Well, um... <laughs> I definitely, like I said, saw quality accessible education, like equity based education as like the solution to the, to the bigger issues I saw. So um, I, at first when I was in high school, I thought, you know, do I want, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a, like a lawyer or like, you know, some kind of an advocacy policy expert. And then when I realized that, wow, you know, education is kind of like the foundation of, of all of the things that we see room for improvement for. Um, I decided I wanted to teach. Uh, I graduated college when I was, you know, 21. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna put a few years between me and my students because my gut told me that I wanted to teach um, high school, uh, social science, history. I wanted to, you know, like, I, I'm really passionate about not just the, you know, history that we've been taught that we've sometimes learned is a little bit romanticized or whitewashed to fit a specific narrative, but like empowering diverse students to see themselves in history. Um, I think now, you know, there's a push towards incorporating ethnic studies, which I wholeheartedly agree with. In fact, I testified in front of the Senate Ed Committee about my belief that that's an important part 
of educating our students. And so it was just exciting to, to see education as a way for me to like marry those passions that I had about improving the community and empowering traditionally underserved students, you know, in the classroom and then seeing it come to life. Like it was just like this idea that I had in the beginning and then over the course of my career, you know, seeing students live up to that really reminded me that, you know, we have a lot of uh, data numbers that show that we have huge achievement gaps in our communities, not just in the Central Valley, but across the, the state and the country. Right. The, the, the underlying foundation of those achievement gaps is the belief gap. Like, what do teachers, what do systems, what does society believe each student is capable of? And if we, if, if we intentionally or unintentionally set uh, low expectations for students, then guess what? They live up to those low, low expectations. So if you believe in them and then you set the high expectations and you build in the supports along the way, like anything is possible. So so true. And you raised a good point is that the heart of anything is in your belief, the belief that you have in yourself. And actually most recently, I think it was, uh, I was at a networking mixer with um, <clears throat> some local leaders and I had um, my favorite person in the world. Her husband approached me. We had never met um, Elaine Vincent. So she's listening or watching. Shout out to her. Absolutely love and adore her. I had never met her husband, Ron. Mm -hmm. And so she presented us to the. Uh, she presented him to myself, and we started having a conversation. And Lindsay, oh my goodness, he. I told him my educational journey. You know, first generation as well and um, all the things that I've done and how, um, you know, I started here at Empire Elementary. At that time, it was considered a Title I school, free lunch all the way up to high school. And um, a couple months ago, I got the pre-COVID, got the privilege and honor to go speak at Harvard. So I was, this was before I went and I was telling him that I was gonna go do that. And he said something to me that I never, ever am gonna forget ever. Like I was trying so hard to like keep it together because it just meant so much. He said, if you were my student, I would have like just mentored you. And I know that the sky would have been the limit for you. And he said, I am so sorry that our educational system failed you because everything that you've done, um, you shouldn't have to went through all that and get cure all this debt like we could have helped you with scholarships like it's uh having two parents working in the cannery um in in the fields and all that um there's no like i don't understand why you didn't get financial aid which i didn't and um so at that moment i was like oh my goodness no one has ever apologized to me like that and he's just the top-notch guy i love both of them and I thought, you know, it, I kind of stepped back and was quiet all night because I was reflecting on it. And being a first generation college student, you know, my, my parents didn't know how to navigate the system or even begin to tell me where to look, who to talk to. And so I had to figure it out all by myself. And I feel like I was, um, I went under the radar because I missed out on college tours and all these different things that they have to prep you for college and so my immediate um educational journey was mjc then i transferred and that's how i was able to get into a state 
but you see it was even out of my mind because I thought I can't afford that right. and so when Ron said like I I apologize on the behalf of every educator that ever taught you and I thought oh my goodness yeah like, no it's so it's so true um our what I found as an advocate is locally we still struggle with the the, the understanding of the difference between equality and equity, right? Like what we want is equality of outcome. Like we want every student to graduate fully literate, you know, all the information and choices at their fingertips regarding different colleges, financial aid. But what we need along the way is equity. Like you, you know, a student who is a native English speaker, who has two college educated parents who know how to navigate the system, maybe has the financial means to pay for the school, is gonna have drastically different needs along the way as a student whose parents don't speak English, or maybe they are learning English as a second language and, you know, financially, uh, you know, don't have the means and resources. And so by giving those students you know, what they need along the way. And like in hindsight, like what you could have used, it's not a handout, like it's a hand up, right? And I think that that's where we get confused is like, oh, we're giving those students preference. No, we're not. And that's what they, A, that's what they need, but B, really, if you think about it, like we all benefit when we give students a hand up, like our community benefits when we have, you know, literate, educated members of the, community willing to engage and like solve problems like you know statistics show like the more educated our community is we all benefit from it so I hope that that like that's kind of like the next chapter is like I hope to to under, get people to understand you know the, the communal benefit of of raising all boats by giving students who have different situations the resources they need to reach their full potential oh my goodness okay. yes yeah. that is so you touched on a very important subject about other people's kids, you know, and why should you care? And it's like, it's so much bigger than that. And for anybody that had kids that graduated or just focus on their kids, like we're all linked as in humanity, right? And um, the lead, the kids today are gonna be tomorrow's leaders that are gonna be working with your kids. You know, they're going to be the next generation of voters. They're going to be the next community leaders. And I feel like that's an important topic to dive in because it, it matters. Like, do you want your children to be, uh, do you want them to be able to navigate who they work with, the system? And if, if you don't care about other people's education, then it's like, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, like the, the number one thing really in in life and in society, but especially in education is um, empathy, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, because it's so easy to be judgmental, especially as a high school teacher, you can imagine now imagine I have these students who are like 16, 17, 18 years old, and some of them because they come from countries where they speak a different language, they don't even know the alphabet, right? So I would hear a lot of like, you know, judgment because we have assumptions of what a student of a certain age should know. And um, when we get stuck in that judgment, that's when we cut off opportunity because then when you use empathy, like you put yourself in their shoes and you realize why they don't have those skills. And, you know, obviously my students, that's an extreme example and there's students along the way at every grade in different circumstances that 
we benefit so much from our empathy rather than our judgment, you know? And so when we use empathy as like that guiding force of, oh, there's a reason why they're not reading and writing at grade level, or there's a reason why their parents aren't attending meetings because they're working at night or because things aren't translated into their language. Like when we put ourselves in the shoes of other people, then guess what? We value the needs of their children. Oh, most definitely. I know my mom, um, she has a second grade education. Mm-hmm. And she was migrating every summer to come and work the fields here to go back to uh, Mexico to be able to generate some additional income for her family. And, um, you know, she didn't have an opportunity to even go and educate to have an education here in the States. Like, and it's funny because I've always, you know, I. I am so easily able to step into those shoes because I lived it through her. Even though I I got the opportunity to, I was born here and I went through our educational system here, but being on the in the classroom as a teacher working with the little ones, so I'm sure that I got the siblings of, of the kids that you worked with, Lindsay, because we had a big demographic of, oh, just culturally diverse children and Head Start and Lots of times I'd sit with the parents, I'd take time with the mothers and we sit in the classroom and they'd ask me questions about, um, you know, charter schools or what high schools here to go to. And, um, you know, I'd be working with colleagues and it was, well, I don't, why are they late to parent conferences? Or, you know, I, I don't want to talk to her because she's not going to understand me or even doing home visits. This, trying to understand the culture. Like if I'm going to go do a home visit and go over to accommodate because they can't come and go over, you know, their child's report, um, their health, whatever it may be, the reason why I was going over there and they offer me um, some food or to sit down. Like it's, I have, I'm going to take that offer because I know it's going to be disrespectful if I don't. And a lot of, I remember having these conversations with colleagues and they're like, no, I don't want to go over there because I don't, I don't want to eat. And they just didn't understand it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. No, cultural competency is like huge. And I mean, I was so lucky. Like I learned more by doing exactly what you just described by like taking the time to going to families' houses and sharing the meal with them and getting to know their story and you know the circumstances like to me like that's what made me the passionate educator obviously seeing the student success was really important but that was like just life-changing for me and so what, what I learned from that was you know obviously I think it made me a better teacher and it helped my colleagues and I reflect about what our students needed more but I also realized wow this is like cultural competency is bigger than just the classroom and education I think we could benefit from having that in so many aspects of you know life, uh, customer service in terms of businesses or or you know government agencies. Like I think that cultural competency is so incredibly important. Actually, serving the people who live in your community. No, that's so true. And I saw it like through all different spectrums. Because now, when you insert a child that has some um, additional needs, um, you know. I'm going to use my sister as an example. Um, my nephew has ADHD. And so having, it wasn't a crazy amount of like for a whole year straight, 
phone call after phone call after phone call. And I remember having this conversation with my sister and saying like, well, what if you worked? Like, how can you leave your work just to come and, you know, kind of assist? And it wasn't nothing where it was just, you know, he couldn't sit still. And we're, you know, he's still little trying to figure out like what works for him, what doesn't work for him. And, um, and so it got to a point where she, I had to come in and go with her so I can help her and coach her through um, understanding the educational language mm-hmm. and just being in the different school district and working with behavior specialists with different children. I kind of started to understand the language and it's just it broke my heart to even see my own sister go through it and i'm like let alone a person that comes from a different country and has a language barrier and then there's no one there that can really interpret right there's so many things that happen and like this is why i have the passion for advocating for education as well and having everyone know their rights in the system because it's hard yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, it, I even remember back before I did the Language Institute and um, obviously, you know, there was language and cultural needs to engage those families. But I think of my mainstream students um, before who sometimes, you know, parents would come in and um, they would have an edge to them, you know. And when I reflected, like over the course of my career, what I've learned through, you know, advocating is you know what, they had an edge because as students, they probably were underserved and their needs weren't met. And who knows how many generations that went on that they were allowed to slip through the cracks. So they didn't have any faith in the system. They came in with, you know, that hard shell, like you're wasting my time. You didn't do anything to help me. You didn't do anything to help, you know, my parents before me. And so I think it's our opportunity to not write those parents off and to like figure out, okay, how can we repair that faith and that trust in, in education, not just, you know, for that student and whatever the issue is that brought that meeting in, but just for like the overall value of our community, because we need our everybody to like understand that education is like the the key that's going to like open the door to opportunity. And if we have broken that relationship, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Ron Vincent, you know, acknowledging it and, and owning it and apologizing to you, like that's step one. We, we have to stop blaming the people who the victims of our of the educational system shortcoming we have to like own it and then we have to repair that relationship before we can move forward an opportunity to be part of a cohort that was based out in los angeles and we did some advocating for um, what we at the time we felt was important to us. They didn't give us a topic. And so one of the things I was advocating for was education and then the Affordable Health Care Act. And so we got to knock on legislators doors. And it's funny being only what I think it's like an hour and something to the Capitol, right? Mm-hmm. Um, none of my education did I ever take a field trip to the Capitol. And so I grew up thinking that the Capitol was so far away. You know, I built this narrative of how it looked like and that experience. And when I was a part of this cohort, I was like, I felt like a little girl in a candy store because I was just amazed and it was nothing what I had imagined. And that accessibility to our legislators was very accessible. 
And yes. in my head, you know, I thought, oh no, like I have to make, like I'd have to get through 30 people before I got to my legislator. And to know mm-hmm. that I was sitting down, I was having conversations with them. I was telling them stories about my experience and my own educational journey and taking other people's stories that I had heard along the way and advocating. And um, that is something that when that when I realized I could do that, I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. You know, everyone has the ability to take action. And it has doesn't have to be to go knock on a legislator's door. It can be as simple as, you know, posting photos on social media, you know, uh, sharing posts from different campaigns. But the thought is to take action because most people don't. They, they yeah. complain or go yeah. on a rant. And it's like, where's the action behind it? No, it totally. I think that that's definitely, I mean, one of the reasons why it's so important for education to produce, you know, not just, you know, students who are literate, but empowered and know, you know, how to be active participants in democracy, because you're so right. Um, So many people, not just students, but people, adults go their entire life not knowing the power of sending an email or a letter to an elected official, not knowing that they have access. I had the opportunity to take some of my students to the Capitol and um, then assembly member, now Senator Ana Caballero actually uh, amended a bill. And for the very first time in California Ed Code, you know, newcomers, students that were immigrants as teenagers were accommodated in a piece of legislation. And I think that, I mean, I kept in touch with all the students that had the honor of sitting in her office and telling their stories and it changed their life forever. I mean, they they like totally feel empowered and like they, they were part of the solution then, but now they know that in the future, whatever comes their way, you know, they can engage in it. So no, I, I wholeheartedly agree we could do a better job of, teaching students, not just the content, you know, the history, the math, whatever, but like the process and, and how to be problem solvers. Powerful. Um, and so I know you mentioned a couple of tips of how we start with change, but do you have anything additional that um, for anybody that is viewing, watching us or listening, that you can encourage them to be advocates? Yeah, I would say definitely in terms of, of education, you know, knowing how much power you have, whether you're a parent or just a you know, person in the community, we all benefit obviously from a quality uh, local education system. And the system here in California is set up for input. It, you know, they, they call it local control. And so what happens is if not everybody participates in that, then, you know, resources, priorities go toward those who take the time to put themselves at the table. So I would encourage people to, to research how to get involved in your community. And then when you do get involved, whether it's writing a letter or participating in an input session, not just thinking of your individual experience as a student or a parent, but being empathetic and thinking about the, the children of others and the situations that other parents that the school system is serving um, and bringing their voice to the table and then maybe bringing someone along with you, you know, like you know your experience in Sacramento. It's really empowering when you make that realization like, wow, I have a voice that I can make a difference. So. Like if you know that, like if you have that capacity already, then reaching out and and, and giving that to someone else because it becomes like a, a trickle effect.
power to lift someone up in any way, shape or form. And so that's, that's an excellent way for anyone that's listening that possibly maybe has a child that is crossing over from high school to college, like invite their friends to come with you and do some college tours. Um, you know, take someone to that college informational night or, you know, and like you said, I think that's the perfect example. If you have an opportunity to speak to a legislator, invite invite someone else's child to come with you because that experience really is powerful and priceless. And I know through that experience, um, I got the opportunity to meet my local officials, which I, at that time I wasn't really involved in the community. And um, I remember having lunch with one of them specifically and was like, Dominica, you have everything to run for a local office, like you should do it. And I thought, who me? Like I, I didn't have that faith in myself. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, he sees something in me, then maybe I should really pay attention. Right. And so even doing that, because that one um, moment that I had with this individual, it turned into me serving on a local board as a, an elected official for two years. And we won't get into that because we're running out of time. That will be for a different episode. But um, you just never know just by a simple ask or simple invite how much that can um, affect that person and really change their life. Because yep. I didn't have that vision for myself and I ended up serving 4,000 people in my community. Right. And so, but I know that there's a lot of different things that you can do in your own community and different ways that you can serve. And I'm just so excited that hopefully somebody that's listening or watching can be inspired um, just by knowing that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. It all goes back to, you know, like I said, that belief gap, right? Like sometimes we see potential in other people that either they don't see themselves or they didn't know existed. And so if we take the time, you know, to invite someone to a meeting or even make a, a compliment like, hey, man, I see something in you. You could be a public official, you know, take the time to have those little conversations because it can really change the trajectory of someone's life. Most definitely. And Lindsay, I am super inspired by you. Just know that. And thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with me. But we are coming towards the end of our time together. And most definitely, um, we will have you back because I know there's a lot to talk about in education. So I look forward to that. But is there any final things that you want to share with anybody that you think we might have missed? And then also, please let everyone know where to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you uh, would like, you know, to uh, get to know me better, or if you see room for improvement for advocacy, especially for English learners in your community, you can find me at lindsaybirdconsulting.com. That's my website. My email is connect at lindsaybirdconsulting. And I just uh, really, really see um, a limitless potential for in, in the most dire of data. So uh, it's kind of like how we how we see things, right? Be, be optimistic because, you know, the future is so bright for the Central Valley. We hope you enjoy this episode of the She Powered Podcast featuring Lindsay Bird. You can connect with Lindsay through our show notes or any social media platform, Instagram, Facebook under Lindsay Bird Consulting, or visit her on her website, lindsaybirdconsulting.com. Until next time, we will see you then.